Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk, Hagelbond on Twitter, and I have with me today um, the uh, the co-designer and uh, co-developer of um, Hyperlight Drifter, uh, currently a uh, freelance wandering uh, individual free uh, writer slash director, Mr. Mr. Teddy Deef. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Did wandering. I get all your titles right? You got wandering correctly. Oh, good. You're like you're like a uh, what, what would what would the term be? You're like a you're like a samurai of some sort, like the oh. the wandering <laughs> the wandering blade. I've been in video games long enough that I try to avoid all uh, all references to samurai and ninjas. That, uh, yeah, no, I can imagine. <laughs> like that has to be like uh, that has to be the kiss of death in most video games. Like you just kind of like people see a ninja in your game and just immediately roll their eyes. We do technically have ninjas in Hyperlight Drifter, but well, they're not technically ninjas. We don't have to get into this. I, no, frogs. I was actually going to ask you about that because I mean, well, we can talk about the enemy designs and stuff because <laughs> I think you can argue that there are ninjas in Hyperlight, but I also think it's it's true that they are not coded specifically as ninjas. Um, you, could, you could say that they are such in the code as a shorthand, but I wouldn't pedantically argue the point. <laughs> uh. They they um. They're frogs, too, so I think you can be forgiven for kind of thinking of them more first as frogs and then as ninjas. <laughs> um, well, uh, so, I mean, let's get right into it. Um, I hope people who have, who have are listening to this have played Hyperlight. It was a, an extremely popular game, um, and I'll ask you at some point about the thread you had recently about... Um, you had a really interesting thread, I thought, about the, um, the way that you, you feel like you had a lot of luck um, in, in getting the Kickstarter and everything and that, uh, you know, you wish you could sort of like, or give luck back to people or set people on the right path or something. It, it, it mm. was a, you could say more about it than I could, but I'd like to ask you more about that eventually because yeah. it was sort of, it must've been a whirlwind process. But before we get to that, um, if, for anyone who hasn't played it or for everyone, anyone who's not familiar with it, um, how would you describe Hyper Light Drifter? I have some ways to describe it too. I, I really liked it. I'll just say off the bat, but how would you describe the the game that you made? Uh, I don't have like a, a snappy logline. We have it's okay. Uh, yeah, snappy is actually probably worse. I these days I say like I use the phrase glowing pixelated because okay. that 
I feel like that says something. But um, it's a I call it a Zelda-like, honestly. Um, okay. It's sort of a it's in the realm of action RPGs. You wander around a world and collect things and fight things. Um, and you know we get co- some comparisons to things like Souls games, just basically because of difficulty and because of some animation queuing that we do. Um, so it's somewhere in that realm. It's like a Zelda-like, but the combat's meant to be a little bit more difficult and nuanced and less floaty than uh, than. Does it have like? Is it is it a? Does it have like the Souls-like tag? Did you get that? We 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 get like uh, Reddit threads like, hey, if you liked Dark Souls three, here's other games you should play. Huh. Um, and we and admittedly, when we released, we had flagged Dark the uh, we had flagged Dark Souls three as like a prime competitor. And one of the few reasons that really locked in our ultimate release date was, oh god, we have to be in before Dark Souls three. <laughs> I mean. I can understand that. I would imagine that is something that is a little terrifying to be up against the new FromSoft game, mm-hmm. um, regardless of whether or not your game has similarities with it. Um, that's interesting. I well, would. I mean, do you? That that seems to me like Souls like tag creep. Because uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Hyperlight's difficult, but it's it doesn't feel like a Souls game to me. It feels difficult in, as you said, it's sort of like a Zelda like, and I, I saw it compared to like. Zelda meets Diablo, and I thought, oh, that probably mm. that's kind of right too. Like it, it feels kind of like you have to manage these hordes of enemies, but that's not what I think of Dark Souls as. I, I wonder if, like, did you guys feel like they just kind of looked at your game and said, oh, there's a sword in this, and it's hard? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, like, admittedly, maybe we did too. We looked at it a little bit in terms of world construction and the way that uh, like rooms were connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think in the original Kickstarter, the games quoted are A Link to the Past and Diablo. Okay, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to ask you a little bit about... Um, well, so let's get into process. The The actual game was Kickstarted. Uh, what was your role, like, specifically? How would you describe, like, what you did? And this is just for anyone, including myself, who's sort of, like, uh, always always already learning, let's say, about what people do to make video games. Like, what, what was your role in the process? Um, so I would say, like, the the five of us who were full-time for all of it consisted, really broadly speaking, of two programmer designers, uh, two programmer game designers, two uh, visual artists, mm-hmm. and uh, animator. So our animator animated... Um, primarily, he did some level design as well. And then on a team like that, you you know, we say like everyone is part of the game design process because it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll say for me, uh, like core responsibilities were like half of the game systems design and half of the code. So I sort of just shared and split evenly with Bo Blythe, who was the okay. other person who was co-designing, co-programming. Um, neither of us did level design though, for the most part. We did kind of everything else. Uh, in okay. terms of game design. That so, makes sense. A lot of programming, a lot of discussion of like systems and feel, game feel stuff, uh, as well as like kind of like higher level design. And by that I mean like uh, world map construction and how we save and how the economies work and um, like how we're telling narrative and narrative design, so to speak. Okay. And I mean, I'm going to have a lot of questions about narrative, so I'm glad that you worked on that because I think the one of the things the game does very very I don't know and it, it, I would say this is so kind of silly but like 
in a in a unique way uh the game tells its story like there's there are no words um mm-hmm. or if there are words i I've, I've forgotten them like i think there are no words Good. written <laughs> we 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 technically surrendered at the, towards the end and the tutorial has some words did you surrender at the end how did you surrender at the end i don't even remember uh, not the end of the story, but like at the end of production, as we oh, were oh, oh, trying okay. to make a tutorial, we were like, you know, like people will have a better experience. We yeah, we we put words into the yeah. Okay, tutorial. no, I know. It is just like press A to pick up health yeah. or whatever. Yeah, um, that, that, that those were words. I didn't I didn't hold that against you uh, for what it's yeah. worth. And, oh, and the last thing is I, I technically co-produced the project with Alex Preston, so he and I handled most of like. The different bits of what that entails: okay. Prom- promotion and going to shows, and handling schedule and budget, et cetera, et cetera. That can be uh, thankless. Uh, it's a job. It's a it's a job. It contains labor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it contains multitudes of labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, talk to me a little bit about like the. We'll, we'll come back to the Kickstarter. Talk to me about the narrative. So, like I, I've sort of uh, implied here, but I think the narrative is really fascinating in terms of how it's put across because there are a lot of like I think one of the the gaming cliches I I get tired of the most is the is the mute narrator but effectively what you've done is you've given you've taken that trope and that said like well now everyone's mute like mm. the only way we're going to tell the story is via pictures so I mean if you want to say anything about the decision I'd love to hear it but I'm also kind of curious as to what that did for process like how was that as like working on those higher level systems, as you say, sort of like <laughs> writing the, the the game. How did that How did that work for you? Yeah. Um, so the the decision to be wordless was just like something we all committed to up front. It's it's like a, a idea that uh, Alex Preston and Casey Hunt really wanted to push. Those were the two people coming from like visual art and animation. Okay. And so like they, for example, had already done this like passion test animation project that bared some resemblance to Hyperlight, but was not. Um, and they showed us like the, the, um, the animatic of it. Uh, oh, cool. and, and we were all like, Oh dope. Okay. We can, we let's all commit to just make that a constraint for the entire game. Um, so yeah, I mean, it has a ton of implications in terms of narrative and storytelling. We knew from that point forward that like our storytelling tools were animation which is expensive, um, <laughs> expensive in human time, which I guess is what everything comes down to. Um, I'll have to get your opinion on that. That's uh, sure. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to get your opinion on the labor theory of value before down, this is over. Yeah. Down, um, yeah. So animation and like environmental storytelling, quote unquote, which can mean a lot of things. Um, For sure. And then some of the ways that we designed systems. Um, so I don't know how much you want me to just ramble on this. Or yeah, please. Actually, no, that sounds fast. I'm, unfortunately for my audience, I am uh, I am very big into learning about systems in in, okay. in any way you can imagine. I mean that. So like one of the big so, so there were like a couple major problems that that reared their heads pretty quickly and uh, consistently forever from that choice, <laughs> right? Um, okay. Because like what you get is like whoa, this game has no words. That's so cool. Wow, localization is going to be so cheap. And wow, journalists love that. Um, cause it was, a, it was like an interesting talking point and it is unique, I guess. Um, although sure. more, yeah, uh, whatever. Um, no, it's super unique. I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't know. You should give yourself more credit on that. That's like, that's a, I've never seen a game do no words. Okay, cool. We'll take it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So like one of the big things was goals, right? We're like, how does the player know what they're supposed to do? Sure. Um, and one of those is just what direction they're supposed to go. 
which informed the level design process. It meant that like, if you actually really dig into the level design and the structure of it, it's a lot more linear than we originally tried doing. Um, just because when you're working with no words, like simplicity always benefits the player. Sure. Um, so for example, like the goal of the game, uh, fundamentally is like, there are these four towers in the four corners of the world. You gotta turn each one of them on. Um, and that's, that's technically it. Like you have to turn on the towers and in the process you have to gather at least four of these, uh, module triangles that we have in each region of the world. So we had to, like, ultimately what you'll see in the game is that we demonstrate that and try to, like, establish that from the opening cutscene. And then after the opening cutscene, there's, like, another beat where we go, like, yo, here's an image that says get the triangles. Um, that image was actually, like, uh, at first I when I... So I will tell you, and maybe you've heard this before, maybe this is something mm -hmm. someone has already told you, but... When I saw that image, uh, there was also the prompt of like hit A to ex like for the check mark and B for the the no like you know I, I want out yeah um, instead of just B for no. But I, when I hit the A, I was like, am I accepting a quest? Is this a quest <laughs> that I've accepted? Like, what am I what am I doing? And I mean, it wasn't like super confusing to me, but I will say I, I had a moment where I was like, is this like is this the quest part? Is that, am I going to come back? Mm. Is there going to be something new after this? And eventually, like after I did the, the North one, I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is the same thing. Like it, it, this is just, this is instruction. It's not a quest. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I mean, we thought about side quests. One of the big cuts that we did like middle early production was that we cut the idea of like, uh, sub quests for NPCs that you would encounter. Oh, okay. Um, so any NPCs that you end up finding in the world are just there to reiterate story and kind of to reiterate goals because the story of each region is kind of surrounding the boss of that region. And the boss is always standing within a stone's throw from the big tower you have to activate. So everything's just kind of pulling you towards, like literally you have to do one thing in each region and we just use everything we possibly can to keep pointing you in that direction because we can't ever just say it with words. And if we could just say it with words and put a little thing in the pause <laughs> screen that says, you're supposed to be going to this thing, uh, you know, like we wouldn't have to do that, but. Seems like that would also be a little bit, um, a little bit less satisfying for you as a, as a designer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I would say so. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the other thing I was wondering, like when you, when you have sort of these, these story beats about the characters. I mean, I, I saw you, um, and we'll also, I guess this is another thing we should, we should bookmark. Um, the, the, the iPhone version of this just came out. So this was, uh, mm -hmm. I saw your thread on this, which is why I, I got in touch initially. Um, and you mentioned in that thread that, um, you were really pleased about, uh, the character in, it was the second boss I fought. So I guess it was the left region, mm -hmm. the general. Mm -hmm. Um, and like how he turned out, and also the the sort of like crafting of the of the pixel uh, the pixel art of the gun and stuff like that, um, or the animation of the gun uh, that you get from him. Mm -hmm. I um and I, I got some of his story. I thought it was really interesting, but that was something that you were saying like it's it's a cool story. It's like it's very you know it it, it appealed to you as a, as a narrator. It was something mm -hmm. you're proud of, um, and I can see why. I'm just wondering like. What was, I mean, have you felt like people have followed that in a way that you are satisfied with? Like, is it something that you, you know, as, as one of the writers of these, these like larger thematic and, and sort of like narrative 
ideas, are you happy with how they've been received? Do you feel like people have, have followed them in a good way? Or are you sort of like, uh, I, you know, no one got what I meant. I think, I, I mean, I, I think that probably it's the minority case that players really get, you know, the particulars of the major characters in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and especially that they really get like the worldview of the game. Um, I will say like for context to me, so from the beginning of the project, it was kind of the story based on uh, the, the original creator, Alex Preston, his like struggles with health. And that's oh, okay. how it was framed in the original Kickstarter too, is that he's just like, he's had a world of health problems for okay. most of his life and it's really shaped his worldview. And like, this was meant to be hearkening back to that. So like, um, a lot of this was like shaping a game around his worldview and kind of the messaging he wanted in it. So for me, it was like maybe the, the, the most specific experience I've had of being like a narrative designer over being a writer, hmm. um, where I was like, cool, you know, you have an idea, Alex, of like who this character is and what their view is and what they're trying to do. And I'm just here as kind of like a person who's made a bunch of games to... To, to figure out how to tell it. So in the context of, the, of this question of like, does it bother me if people don't get it? Like, no, because I think we did our best to like sprinkle in a lot of the depth of like the world design and the, mm. uh, for lack of a less annoying word, lore. Uh, <laughs> you, like you, I think it's, it's I don't know. I think, there. I think neither word is annoying. I, I, support, I support your use of both. Um, yeah, no, I can understand that. I, that's that's really interesting, and it, of course, uh, I'm sorry to hear about uh, Alex's health troubles. Um, uh, chronic health is like mm. is absolutely no joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I uh, I wouldn't have thought of that, but it totally makes sense with the way the character is constantly sort of like trying to stay healthy, um, sort mm. of looking for a uh, a I guess for lack of a better word a a, um, a cure. Uh, for for yeah. what is ailing uh, the the character, it doesn't. It, there's no gender or anything. It's it's just a. It, you don't learn much about the hyperlight drifter. He's he's a, he or she yeah. is a a character just wandering around with a with a little electronic buddy. But um, yeah, there there are things like yeah that we tried to do to get to the health. Actually, one of the latest design changes we made uh, when I as like with my producer hat on was trying to be like <laughs> we need to stop changing systems was <laughs> we made a huge overhaul to the health system uh, and when you change the health system that means you have to change the health economy meaning like if you have pickups everywhere you need to redistribute them and delete them all and start over mm. um, uh, where we truly we brutal a bunch of different things yes yeah, it's, it's rough <laughs> um, but we, we went to this thing of like um, medication where there's this like basically syringe style health thing that you collect, right? They're basically EpiPens yeah. um, and designing around that, designing like a certain amount of time where when you push it, it heals you slowly. And there's this kind of recovery period. That was a really late uh, in the grand scheme of things design mm. change. That's really interesting. I, I thought that actually like the fact that it was a, I thought that it was a, the fact that it was like a, um, a thing that healed you gradually was, um, super smart tactically. Like it, it made me really rethink the way that I understood the game, like, and how I understood mm -hmm. like how to play it. Um, like I didn't, I, I would not have, I would not have like learned the enemy attacks or, or done as many things with the system. If in fact, uh, I didn't have to like hang on and be like, Oh, jo Oh geez. Like I'm going to get, I'm going to get killed. I can't just like stand yeah. here and heal. Um, 
so that was that's a that's a really cool um, change. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a direct nod. I mean, there are things like that that are trying to directly relate to like health and struggle and like what the dr- the drifter is going through. Mm. That's easier for the player, I think, to see. And then there's l- all the the world stuff is is kind of like. I remember listening to this old, uh, ironically, podcast. I think it was with David Damon Lindelof, who's one of the co-showrunners of Lost, among other things. Yeah. Um, and this is also going to be kind of ironic, given how that show ended. But um, <laughs> he talks about how like there are uh, mysteries that you promise to answer and mysteries that you don't uh, when you're working with like mystery and secret. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I feel like a lot of the mystery put we put in there is is just kind of laid out there or hidden in places in a way that like isn't bragging about itself it's not like oh man like there's so much there's so much lore and like can't you figure it out and isn't that amazing like there's some of that but but i think we did a, a decent job of of avoiding being obnoxious about it and i think yeah. when i look at the game the other thing is like uh for me with like plot twists or with surprises you need them to be earned like if a if you're watching a show or playing something and there's this huge twist and you had no chance as a listener or as a viewer or a player of anticipating that because it's just out of the blue and made up, that's cheap, right? Yeah. But if you, but if you get the surprise and then you like rewatch the thing and you go, oh, it was right there the whole time. Like that's kind of how I feel about a lot of the world building that's in the game. It's like most people won't pick it up, but if they did and then look back, they would see like, oh, it's, it's all in there. Like it's, yeah. it's around me. No, I can totally see that. I mean, actually, I felt that way when the first time you talked to someone with the with the sort of picture story, um, I had I talked to the guy, the sort of the the guy who was drinking by the the edge of town yeah. and was beat up by the other members of the town uh, yeah. or some of the seedier members of town. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just after I'd been to the gun shop, where of course one of the people who beat him up worked, and uh, I remember <laughs> gasping. I was like, "Oh, that's yeah. that's the guy." <laughs> so I mean, yeah, and then also just like the way that you sort of the I think the way the violence unfolds in the game I mean there's there's a lot of like really especially in the area with the bunnies uh the the area with the I believe that's the area with the ninjas too or no that's bunnies yeah or or I don't know what they were white characters they were like oh otters were they otters okay yes and it was with the with the frog ninjas yeah Yeah. that's in the east sorry I thought they were I thought they were bunnies for some reason um but yeah uh that was um the way they were brutalized by the um, by their uh, I don't know for lack of a better word murderers um, yeah. was was rough in a lot of ways. Like that was uh, there were some really really gruesome um, images, uh, right. and I mean not not in a way that I'm I'm chastising you for. I think uh, I'm I'm of the opinion that you can have gruesome images sometimes. It's not really a problem for me. But uh, I thought that violence felt earned in in a way in that mm. like you saw a, like a steady degradation of um, the world in a way that like, oh, like bad stuff is happening to people in this world. It's not just like, it's not just a, a rough place. Like this is, this is slowly becoming like a place that is um, very, very troubling. Um, and I feel like that sort of devolved along the way that you laid out there where like every time it, it kind of built on itself. It was never like, immediately like oh you know this is a bad area and i know it because i just saw this cutscene. <laughs> like this is a bad area and i know this because i've been playing this game long enough i do yeah i um it's good to hear that like the violence feels earned i think like i i'm not a big fan of violence okay. <laughs> which is you know hypocritical i guess but no, it's um okay. <laughs> 
uh, like working with both Alex, you know, who did most of the art for the game and is very comfortable with bodies and blood and things like that because he's seen like a lot of his own body and blood and guts and stuff. Okay. Um, and and working with Bo, who's like really good at at action and uh, and you know sword violence effectively. Like it was uh, like. Alex's comfort with that comes from personal experience and a respect for it, I think. And Bo, I remember there was a moment where we went to the Xbox press conference because we were going to be in it for like half a second in the indie montage. <laughs> nice. And there's some trailer for like the newest Call of Duty and like some guy's leg gets like cut off in realistic 3D and then he gets dragged away from his own leg and like where is his arm and like both Bo and I just like it's probably audible in the recording of the show. We just both go, ew, <laughs> like, like there's a discomfort with like needless uh, gore that I. Which ironically was almost certainly what they wanted uh, to happen sure, during sure. the show. Like I'm sure they were like, yes, we got new. Still, still pushing for maturity. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, that is that is dark. Um, yeah, like I, I guess that that's like not how I felt while playing while playing the game. Like it felt when I was when I was watching, um, you know, like there's there's a part where those otters are are literally skinned. Like there are mm-hmm. otters up on like stakes and they're skinned. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel like, well, this is gratuitous. <laughs> I was like, well, this kind of adds up with the what the kind of existential um, things that have been that have been uh, laid out so far. Like, there's clearly stuff that's happening to the 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 otters by these frogs, and it's not good. And now there's yeah. a an actual sort of like physical toll, as opposed to just like, well, you know, take our word for it, kind of thing. Yeah, coincidentally, I think that's one of the bigger ooze that Alex got from Bo and I when he put in like the environmental pieces that showed that we were like, oh, yeah, that but was... we agreed with it. We were like, yeah, that's that's compatible with what we know of the region. So. <laughs> it was really grim. Like, uh, yeah. but no, I mean, again, like I, I agree with you. It seemed like it, it seemed like it was compatible and I had I had really no problem with it. Um, so let me ask you this, too. Um, when. Uh, when you started putting the game together, and I don't know how much of a of a um, of in, input that you had on this, but like when you started putting the game together, how how like hard was it to sort of like draw out the secrets in it? Like there are these secrets, right? Where um, where like I'm trying to think of like how to say this. There are secrets where all of a sudden you um, you know you you see a little symbol on the ground mm-hmm. and you can dash off to a platform that's off screen or. Mm-hmm. onto an invisible platform or something like that. And much of the appeal to the game in the, in the early going for me was was uh, this this kind of like secret uh, world where I could just kind of be like, oh, nice, I can like, I can go explore this area. I know I have to look around and I'm going to find stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, was that something that was part of the... Um, so that's something that was part of like the, the actual sort of like design process. Did that come out of not having words or... Was that kind of like exploratory, like check every nook and cranny for every little thing? Um, was that just something that you came into it like initially wanting? Um, that's a good question. I so another thing we established in like one of our first big kind of mid Kickstarter meetings when so 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 Alex conceived of this project at some point um, and then did like a little prototype with Bo and then they put a Kickstarter up and then I joined them the 
day of the Kickstarter launch because it had already started to explode and Alex was like, ah, okay, we need a third person. And then, um, <laughs> makes sense. Alex and then, uh, Casey Hunt, who was the other, uh, uh, person from the, from the illustration animation background came on, uh, and then Sean Ward, who was our animator. But, um, one of the first things that we said in addition to no words was no puzzles mm. because just as designers, like, Alex didn't want to push it, and Bo and I were both like, yeah, I don't actually know shit about puzzles, and I don't want to learn. Like, it's just not a <laughs> competency <laughs> any of us wanted to develop. We're like, uh, different game. So so I think it, it probably, I mean, it came out of that, but the idea of this world having a lot of history and a lot of stuff strewn around, like a lot of just like old equipment fucking lying everywhere. Yeah. Um, was a kind of a part of the design of the world and, and what Alex wanted for the world in the first place. From a design perspective, I think it comes out of a need for pacing because, um, like, there's combat and then there's walking around doing nothing. Yeah. And and so if you're not going to have puzzles, um, you kind of need something else. So, like, we experimented with more complicated navigation or, like, skilled navigation. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like... Um, uh, tricky platforming, for example. Hmm. Um, okay. And we tried things with height, where I like programmed height into the game, so there was verticality and like um, slightly more mazy environments. All this stuff that ended up not feeling right. Um, <laughs> You're uh, taking credit for the stuff that didn't feel right. No, well, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, you try stuff, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's a the the design of the dash plays into that, which we'd come back to. But um, yeah, so I think without puzzles and without like tricky navigation, if you think of like uh, Uncharted as mm-hmm. an example, it's like okay, you got gun shooting, which is what like they have to have if they're going to be a triple A. Yeah, I mean they can't scale. get away from that. Absolutely, they can't. Um, and then they've got puzzles, and then they have Nathan Drake climbing walls, um, and then they have like story, cutscenes or whatever. So. We, we lost our Nathan Drake climbing walls because we couldn't have platforming and we didn't want puzzles. So we were left with just like combat and story beats. And so looking for stuff kind of became our ability to create white space between combat that wasn't mm. just mindless walking. It was like um, we want people to be paying attention. And, and like one of my jobs or one of the things I was doing with Alex as we went was like... Um, Encourage, like uh, reminding him or insisting that like people are going to look around because your art is gorgeous. And yeah. and to us, you, when you make a game, you just kind of take it for granted and you run through. And certainly for Alex, he would just run through. And I'm like, no, what, th- this is really pretty. People want to take their time. And so, yeah, things being hidden, putting little sigils on the ground, that was kind of a way to lean into that and slow the player down and mm. make it a more uh, intentional walk through the world. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I... Um I really, really took my time in the game in ways that I did not expect that I would. Um, I think, like, I think the game was, I don't know, it was very, yeah, I agree, it was, it was beautiful. Um, and, like, it, it, it very much um, rewarded that kind of looking around, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, that makes, that makes total sense. I, um, I do want to ask a little bit about, uh, so, like, this is, this is a bit of a strange pivot, but maybe not. Um, I kind of wanted to ask a little bit about the politics of the game. Uh, Hmm. I don't know, like, so my first question is, are there politics to this game? Would you say that there are? Hmm. (laughs) That's a good question. Um, (laughs) I I think there are, like, 
strong opinions about humanity. Okay. Um, to, to talk about, like, I'm all for games saying things and having opinions and taking sides and having politics. Um, I, I would say from conversations b- between Alex and I and the team, like, to talk about it as, as speaking, like, to, or, or um, with intention, speaking to, like, current politics, I don't think that it does that. Okay. Um, I don't think that it tries to tackle it. Um, I think it's something we could have done more, but I, I think it wasn't the focus from the beginning. It was kind of more like a, um, it has it has philosophical opinions. Yeah, I don't. You know, it didn't it didn't strike me as something that was like commenting on a current political thing. Like it wasn't a specifically 2017 game or anything like that. Mm. Um, but it felt. I mean, in some ways, so like, in some ways, it felt very much like a. In some ways, it felt very much like a, a, a sort of like a game that was concerned with the humanity, at least of the player and then of sort of the NPCs, too, in a way that it didn't feel um, it didn't feel trite. Like it wasn't like, oh, you should feel bad for these people because these are the few people you feel bad for and they're the people that the enemy got at or whatever. Like it wasn't it wasn't just de facto, like feel bad for these people. Don't feel bad for these people. It really felt like, OK. Like, this is actually sort of, like, a scary situation um, for these people, and this is why, and it's a it's a sad situation for these people, and here's why. Um, and then I think, like, also what you were saying about the the health elements of, of the, the Drifter, like, it really did feel like you were you were kind of trying to save this guy, this, well, I, I guess I thought of it as a guy, um, which probably reveals some blind spots on me. But, um, you know, like, it really did feel like you are trying to save this person. You're trying to, like, find some way for them to live while sort of feeling like you're never actually going to succeed in that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the from a humanity point of view, um, you know, the core of the story, and, and uh, we don't really talk about the story with words because we work so hard to not have words, so I have to be careful <laughs> when I talk about this stuff. That's um, very reasonable. I can understand that. <laughs> but, I mean, it's demonstrably, like, this drifter is looking for this cure, right? Yeah. Um, so, fundamentally, like, the character is looking to help themselves, um, and so there is a lot of, like, anything that you happen to be doing that can be perceived as helping others is usually also in the interest of yourself, um, and I think that the way the story plays out is meant to make a commentary on that. Mm. Um, but again, I, I think we're more in the realm of like, oh, comment, commenting on on hubris and, and social contract and stuff. I think like you know, would would a uh, would a post Trump hyperlight drifter be different <laughs> than the pre Trump hyperlight drifter that we got? Like maybe. Like I I would think I would like to think so. I'd like to think that we were operating in kind of like a. Um, the, the privilege of the Obama era and been like, let's be, let's be philosophical and feeling maybe a little bit less of that pull at the time, um, to, to be like political. But, That's fair. Yeah. Um, I feel, I feel guilty saying that. I feel guilty of being like, it's not political. You feel, <laughs> I don't like, think oh, you need fuck. to feel guilty if it's not political. <laughs> um, I mean, what, well, let me ask it this way. Maybe, maybe this is a way that that can push that a little bit. What, like if it were to have like a, specific politics or if you were to like push that politics a little bit in a way that would make you I don't know maybe maybe feel a little a little less guilty about um its lack like what would that what would that end up looking like what would what would it look like to for for hyperlight to have politics i mean would it 
in, in your sort of ideal version, is there is there a place for it or is there just kind of no room for it? Huh. Um, I think there are things we could have worked in, especially with the way that the story is kind of structured around bosses mm. um, and the bosses usually being kind of the leaders of different factions uh, and each of these uh, leaders having... Uh, particularly bad approaches. Um, they're like a little, they're a little yeah. monstrous, you know, in a way where you're just like, okay, this is a, this is a bad guy. This is a monster. Um, I, I would, I would say it's possible that in more, uh, verbose versions of the game, like even without words, like versions of the game where we had more story panels, for example, cause those got scoped down a lot. Yeah. Um, I would say that there's a, a lot of opportunity to lean into those in a way that I would feel comfortable saying isn't like, changing the intention of the game in a way that I'd be like, oh, hey, y'all, I went on a podcast and, and changed the politics of our game. Like, I, <laughs> Sorry. You should never sorry. change the politics of your game based on a podcast. That's just, that's just my, my advice from podcasting at this point. I think, I think that's, that, that's, that's a, that was a good move on your part. Write it on my tombstone. Yeah, I, I think like a lot of the leadership being like, uh, these bosses and leaders being like, you know, careless about their constituents and being reckless. Like, I think um, there's, there's something about the, the West boss to me that maybe I like, like him the most because I feel like he was trying. That's the general? Yeah, because like the North boss is like kind of, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know what I want to say. The North boss is like super shitty. The East boss is super shitty. Um, like politically, oh yeah, they're like self-absorbed and manipulative sort of characters. Well, the East um, boss is basically your classic strongman, yeah, like the the giant cruel frog. The North boss is is like a, a religious zealot, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The South bosses just seem like um, kind of like uh, thieves or a band of yeah, yeah. They're designed as such. I, th- I think they're just survivalists. But uh, yeah, I, I would say like the East boss is, is kind of like, or, I'm sorry, the West boss, I, can, I get West and East mixed up all the time. It's my secret shame. Um, <laughs> I think the West boss, it, you're right. Like there's, there's a kind of, you can, you can see a version of that that would work. Um, I mean, talk to me a little bit about what you meant when you said that you liked that story and you liked the way that like the, the gun was animated with, with the, with the, with the general, like. How did you sort of like, what was that, what was that line of thinking? Again, can you tease it out a little bit more that, um, I saw in your tweets? I'm, I am asking yeah. you to comment on your tweets and I'm so sorry. That is, uh, maybe the meanest <laughs> thing a person can do, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I labor over them so much. So. <laughs> I like, I like the cartoons you've been drawing. Oh, thank you. I, whoa. Uh, that, that means a lot actually. Thank you. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, um, I, I don't, I don't fancy myself a visual person, so it, it's, a uh, that's a whole different conversation. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say a lot. I, I guess I'll just say um, the, story, the story of the West um, uh, is like of these crystals and these characters being frozen in time. I think this is all pretty surface. Um, and these like soldiers who've all been frozen in time. And so the, the character you're fighting like comes across as the leader of these of these soldiers um and he just kind of maybe it's just because of the one painting alex did where he's just kind of painted a little bit tragically to me um i i just feel like uh, yeah i don't want to get too into it but i feel like he 
just was doing his best yeah. given the given the machine the war machine he was a part of and um and then like from just a kind of narrative design point of view it's the only am i going to say this right i think it's the only weapon it's the most explicitly connected weapon to something mm. that you experience as a player. Like okay. they're all yes. kind of from a certain technological heritage in the in the game, but that's one where it's like, yeah, I, I got it off this guy's body. Mm. Yeah, the, no, that's the, true. The I don't think there are any that you actually take off of the body after that. Mm-mm. You get like skill cards and stuff, but yeah, no, that's 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 great. I, I totally follow you. Um, well, I want to take a quick break from talking about the game and ask you about the Kickstarter. So you also had this really, uh, I thought I thought a smart thread because it was like a thread that you um, you were very um, you were very like um, honest about your own sort of like you know blessing is a little strong um, hmm. uh, luck or or fortune or privilege or however you want to imagine it um, in in like in having, you know, a successful Kickstarter that, like, helped you get a job at Square and, and, and you know, led led to all these things that, of course, you know, is your talent, too. It's not it's not just, you know, luck. You also earned it. Uh, but, you know, stuff like it, it was something that really pushed you ahead. And, and you were saying, if I'm remembering right, like, it would, you know, it, it would be good if, like, other people could get that opportunity. Um, and can you talk to me a little bit about, like, what it was like to sort of have, you know, the initial push of the Kickstarter. I mean, obviously the, you were saying you, they brought you in after that it, it started blowing up, but what was it like to sort of have the expectations of the Kickstarter then followed by sort of the, I mean, I would say like the game had a fairly strong success early on. Like yeah. what was it like to sort of get to that point and be like, Oh, this is like, this is a thing. Like this is, this is really kind of blowing up and it's going to be a, like a big thing for us. Um, it's a big transition to me. I uh, like, where's the right place to start? I, I'll 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 ease into this, and if I start to sound uh, like I have my own hubris, I apologize. It's it's by accident. <laughs> I'll just um, call you. I'll just I'll 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 just call you hubristic. I don't know if this will help or hurt, but like, uh, there was this anecdote from like ancient Rome that I really like, where uh, when a, a conquering general would come back into Rome. They'd get like a parade. They would like mm. ride in a parade back to the whatever, and then the, for the ceremony of whatever. Yeah. Congratulations, back padding. Um, the and the like end of David Gellion, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was like, there's a, a thing I heard that I don't know if it's true, which is that they would have a, a, a person on like the, the big party float that the general is being carried through the city on who would like sit behind the general who's in like a throne or whatever, sit behind the general and whisper in their ear, you are mortal over and over, <laughs> which is just meant to be kind of like, yeah, just like, don't let it go to your head, which like clearly never worked. Right. Sure. Um, they, well, given all the civil wars in Rome, yeah. <laughs> didn't work so at all. Like, yeah. So, so to couch all this, I will confess, like I, I'm really hard on myself. I'm really hard on, on the amount that I work and the amount of productivity I have and the amount of craft I develop and the, the people that I try to learn from, et cetera, et cetera. And I still mm-hmm. am. And, and so like, um, that makes me kind of accidentally meritocratous, at least mm. for myself, where I, I like my instincts tell me like, you have to work harder. If you work harder, maybe something will happen. Yeah. So like to me, the person that I've instated behind me is whispering, you are lucky. Mm. Um, because I do like, it's whatever it's, it's both like, but a lot of it is luck. Um, hmm. 
Oh, so, I mean, yeah. it's it's something that I can I can definitely relate to as an academic. Like that's mm. you're you're told all the time that the only the only guarantee is hard work, um, and so you just mm. work constantly. And then if things don't work out for you, you say to yourself like, oh. I didn't work hard enough or like, yeah, which is like clearly bullshit, but sure. And, um, and you can even tell yourself it's bullshit though. And you still, (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's still like one of those things where you're like, well, I know this is garbage, but, um, it's, it's garbage. That's true. I need to work hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, I think everything, uh, all of the major beats that have happened to me, which I could talk about starting from hyperletter or way before have been like lucky breaks Mm. that the best I can do is like work hard to be prepared for them. Yeah. It was like that Rovio, Rovio was the studio that made Angry Birds. And they gave some, like, they famously gave some talk where they were like, oh, we made 42 games or something before we made Angry Birds. so our thing was like, not that Angry Birds was particularly good, but that by the time we had a hit, we were prepared for a hit. Mm. Or like we, we knew it was luck, but once we had the luck, we, we gave ourselves our best chance to leverage the luck. Hmm. Um, So I don't know. That's another way of looking at it. No, that's, that's cool. Um, no, I think I think that you know that, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I, I think that's a that's a perfectly reasonable and not um, not egotistical uh, or or you know uh, monomaniacal, if you want to be like the mm. the, the Roman generals uh, way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, like I guess yeah. I guess what I'd say what I'd ask then is, you know, has it has it been tricky to has it been tricky to work in like the rest of your career when like there is this super exciting thing that happened previously. I guess what I'm saying is like, mm-hmm. is it hard to have, um, is it hard to have a big hit early on? Like, is it hard uh, for, <laughs> for that to happen early? Um, also, I guess I don't know if it was early. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you'd been yeah, working for a, quite a while. I'm not sure. Th- thanks for catching that. Yeah. I, I'd been making games for since 2005. Okay, yeah, not early so, at all. Uh, eight, eight years, I think. Um, the, the, the anecdote I always say is, like, we did eventually win uh, the Independent Games Festival, the IGF Awards. We won uh, two of them. And the IGF were these things where, like, I distinctly remembered in 2008 going to my first GDC and going to the, game, uh, to the IGF Awards. Mm. And... Uh, and watching people like go up on stage and get awards or whatever. And I was like just getting into games and I was like, Oh, that's good. Like next year, that's going to be me. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a game. And then next year I want to get up there. And then like, <laughs> and then I like tortured myself with that every year for eight oh, years. That's so. And mean. then eventually eight, well, I guess nine years, if you count the delay before the awards happen. So nine years later, uh, we won them, which is still a lucky break, but, um, that just goes to show. Yeah. Hmm. It does take time. But, but that being said, I think, um, God, I like maybe I'm going to answer this in a way you don't uh, don't expect. Like it definitely looms, like the success mm-hmm. of Hyperlight looms, but I still benefit from it and I've had more breaks since. So like for context, we finished Hyperlight. I went almost immediately to go be a creative director at Square Enix in nice. Montreal, which for me was like a big a big get because I'm a Square Enix fan. Yeah. Um yeah. It's a great and then job. and then I left Square Enix, which is again like a privilege to be able to do to be like fuck you guys, I'm leaving. Um, uh, which I could explain in more words that are less, um, less damning to the studio, but, um, you can, if you want, you don't have to, to, you can, to be you able to also. walk away, yeah. to be able to walk away from that is a, is a lucky thing. And then I'm working on a project now. I've been working for about a year on a, a project that's unannounced that, that I got funded, uh, by a company called Kowloon, Kowloon Knights. So cool. I've continued to have like 
breaks and progress where I don't feel like um, times times have gotten worse. I feel like times get have gotten better and better. But like, yeah, we shipped the thing in t- 2016. There's a clock in my head that's like, all right, it's been it has been this many days since your last game release. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's yeah in there. It's in there, but. Uh, I know, you know, we, I, I know what I'm trying to do now. So I guess it's just patience is the thing. Cool. So that's a good answer. Um, um not that you need that from me, but it, it seemed like you, <laughs> you didn't want to, mm, you were, you were thinking carefully about um, it. So I wanted but to, yeah, the th- I, th- I think the thread was about kind of trying to pat, pay it forward. I don't know if you wanted to go into that. Yeah, no, actually I did. Um, so like, what do you like that was, th- thank you for picking up on that. Cause like, that was something that I thought was interesting. Like you, you kind of pointed out that you felt that you would become very lucky or you felt that you were very lucky and you wanted to, it it seemed like, um, it seemed like you wanted to like find some way to help others, uh, have that same luck. So like, where does that impulse come from? What, and what is like, how has that been going for you? Is that something that you keep working at? Is that, has that been in your mind for a while? Like what is, what is the focus there? Um, I do like there was a distinct feeling, for example, when the Kickstarter took off um, and I uh, got on the Hyperlight project where everything just like flipped arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, I, I didn't get that much better at video games overnight, but everything's different now. Um, like, I, I didn't really internalize that the game would necessarily be successful, but for example, I'd been pitching to publishers my indie games for a couple years. Like, I'm, I may go to every show keep showing up, meet everybody, um, like just be present and try to try to learn from everybody sort of person. Right. Um, and I'd been like pounding the pavement, so to speak for, for years. And, um, a lot of what happens when you're pitching for money, um, and not getting it is a lot of like, um, feet shuffling or silence or like not nows. Like you don't get a lot of like hard, we don't like this, please leave. Mm. You know, you get a lot of like non-responses or maybe laters. And so, there's a lot of kind of gray area. And so once the Kickstarter dropped, um, everyone was calling me. Okay. Uh, so one of those things I was like, whoa, I didn't do anything differently except, you know, I'm working with these particular people, but like, and, and we have a good project on our hands, but, um, very quickly, like just to feel like, oh, it's just, it's just this weird social state to be in where people are coming after you, especially if you have money now. Mm. Um, where they're like open to hearing from you. Mm. And, and I, um, I, I guess what I struggle with, and this is where it's going to start to sound like a little, uh, big headed, um, is that like, I try to internalize more and more and more like the amount of, uh, uh, privilege is a, is a good word for it, but also like power and being comfortable with the idea that I have a lot of power. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, like there's this thing in, in any kind of scrappy upstart culture, whether it be like indie games or fucking Silicon Valley or whatever, that like you internalize this feeling of being an underdog and it's really important to re- figure out when you're no longer the underdog. Yeah, um, that's and fair. from a certain, from a certain point of view, like I'm like a per- from it, like pretty decent means white cis man. Like I, I'm already, uh, you know, coming from a, a stronger position of power, but to feel now like, oh, I actually have like a ton of power. Like I, I, I know people with money. I know people who can make things happen for me and for people who I vouch for. Right. I can help people. Um, 
And that's where like um, c- compiling that or, or uh, complicating that with like how busy I make myself and like trying to <laughs> do the next thing and try sure. to do really well and try to um, be there for the team that I'm directing and not let them down because they're kind of my first priority or these people that I've dragged into my project and consumed their lives with. And I'm like, cool, I, this has to work because I, I'm taking your precious time. So they get, they get first, they get first stab at my time, but like my time gets more valuable. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and again, that's from a like capitalistic point of view. That's not saying that my time is more valuable than somebody else's, but I just mean like my time is more demanded from other people. And, And so like, I think about like, Oh, what's like the next, if, if I, if I internalize that of like, Oh, I got more powerful. I got more successful. Like what's the next level up of being able to help people? Yeah. Because I've been, for example, I've been giving talks for years. Um, and like, I, I got my first GDC talk like, um, back in 2012, I think. And that was like this huge dream of mine. That's great. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I mean, Uh, very belated congratulations, but yeah, no, I mean, thank you. And like, I did a couple more after that and it like, it felt really good. And that, that is a way to help people. But I'm like, I'm just kind of still looking for other ways to do it that are a little bit more concrete because like advice only goes so far. Mm. Um, and, and mentorship is, is cool, but also like soft and difficult to do and like very time intensive. And yeah, so I'm just, I'm just trying to find like, I, I suspect that what I'm looking for takes, uh, like kind of a halftime job sort of amount of effort from me. But that's what that thread was about is me trying to like, adapt to my change, my changed position in the world and on Twitter, which is a place where I also like, I've been struggling with how to change my Twitter voice to be appropriate for where my career is at. Mm, mm. Um, I'm not allowed to be like sad. Life is so hard for me (laughs) developer anymore. I can be, I can be honest about emotional struggle and creative struggle, but I, I think, I think it's irresponsible of me to like, to even use the word struggle too much because I, because I'm in a different place. That's yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's 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 something that I think. I mean, if I'm if I'm not wrong, I, I've seen like a lot of people struggle with in terms of thinking about you know like where they are at and like oh am I am I still like you know who who I guess like the question would be like who who are sort of the, like my peers, who, who do I have privilege over? What, mm-hmm. where am I in the sort of like general sense of, of the world? And it sounds like, it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's tricky to, to place yourself within that when you have suddenly had like a massive, massive shift like that. Yeah. I mean, and uh, being in the games industry, which is like desperately trying to change itself and sure. become, become more diverse and become more uh, welcoming to, to people from, from uh, anything other than, than sort of like a cis white male privilege uh, point of view. Like that's another thing is just using, using a voice, standing up for people, like realizing that my, my armor is thicker than other people's. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's something I started to really pick up on when I went to Square Enix and suddenly I was the boss of everybody. Mm. <laughs> that must've been weird. Yeah. Yeah. Hyperlight was really flat, so to speak. Um, uh, like, I mean, I think like technically Alex owned the company, but I had all his passwords. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about as flat as you can get. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean like pretty flat, at least in terms of hierarchy and in the terms of the conversations that we had and, and Square Enix is a company ass company. And so like 
I went in and there was a there is a org chart and I was at the top of it and I was like, whoa, uh, wow, there's a, there's a tree. I got branches. <laughs> and that that was not uh, as much empowering as it was like uh, existentially terrifying. No, same thing. Um, like I remember going into my first meeting when I actually arrived and like uh, I, I had a, at the time a small team, but it was like a few people and we get into the room and it was like, there were a couple beats of like really pregnant silence. This is like really dead air. And, and I was nervous cause I had just shown up and I was like trying to, trying to be impressive or whatever. And, and I was like, Oh God, like the ideas aren't firing or no one's excited or like, I'm just not striking a nerve or something. And then I like realized over time I was like, no, I'm just, I'm running this meeting or like they want me to run that meeting or it's my job to run the meeting. And like, I'm supposed to tell everybody what we're talking about. That doesn't mean that we're not going to about not we are not about to have a sort of even democratic discussion. Right. But but like I have a job that is a little bit more uh, commanding than than I'm used to. So huh. anyway, so I think that I think that extends to everything we're talking about with sort of power and use of it. Yeah. No, I would agree. Um, well, also, I mean, I, and we're coming to the end, so I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I did have a question. So I had one one question about the the kind of ending of Hyperlight and, and what you thought about it, just you know, mm-hmm. as someone who was uh, invested in production of the narrative, um, I'm curious what you think, what, what your sort of take is on the 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 ending of the game and the way that like your your character fights a literal boss named uh, who who has been killing you the whole time, uh, named Judgment. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder what you think about like that with the game. I mean, the game is beautiful. The game has like, and one of the most beautiful things about the game are these massive giants who are, who are just like broken and <laughs> just wrecked everywhere. Um, and that the last thing in that you fight in a broken world that uh, probably, you know, in some ways has its own judgment to come, um, is a boss named judgment. It seemed very pregnant, but I couldn't quite, I mean, it wasn't that I couldn't parse it, but I could see a lot of ways around it or thinking about it. So mm. how did you sort of like, how did you feel or, or understand that, that ending? Um, I'm going to dance around your question because, uh, <laughs> you are always allowed answer. to dance around. I, this is like, uh, this is absolutely like the thing you should do if you're on a podcast, like dance around. Only type of dancing I can do. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I, th- first of all, I think, I think actually the name judgment is community chosen. One of the consequences of having a nameless game is that, um, oh, cool. most of the, like, we don't assign names to the characters other than the drifter. Um, and, uh, there are some that got like ripped out of the game code by the community, but most of our names are stupid. <laughs> like the, the North boss is named jerk Pope, I think, <laughs> you know, just like, okay, that's not, Hey, I mean, why not? That's not the character's names. There's some stabs at names in, for example, like the soundtrack or, or um, in the titles because they all had to have names, uh, which is an interesting thing to make a wordless game and then have the composer show up and be like, uh, you know, one day Disaster Piece or Rich hit everybody up and was like, hey, actually, we need titles for all the tracks. Like, here are my recommendations, but there's no words in this game, so I'm just, like, making this shit up. <laughs> right. Um, so that's tricky because you're like, ah, we can't have nameless tracks on Spotify. They'll, like that shit down that would be rough um, to just be like the, the tracks are just called one two three <laughs> i mean we could do that but yeah you could it would be rough <laughs> for, for it would be no fun um but i i've danced too far out of bounds um so yeah judgment i think is is a community chosen name but like 
you, you mentioned like the the Titans, the giant, yeah, uh, the giants. Um, and I think that's like kind of in line with the uh, the boss fight. Is that one of the things that I had like a great deal of anxiety about when we went to release uh, and as we were making final decisions about w- the content of the world was that like you don't. I, this is a spoiler, I guess, but like you don't so, fight a you don't fight a titan. No, like, you don't fight one of those big things. We thought about it. We talked about it. We're like we'd taken a couple stabs at the design of it, um, and and even as much as like that that shot of like the drifter uh, that's in the opening cutscene of like the drifter on a plateau and those things floating by, uh, or like seemingly walking towards you, like that was in the Kickstarter trailer too, I think, or it was in some early video we'd put out. So there was this expectation that people were like, "Oh shit, I can't wait for the giant." Uh, Evangelion monster, and <laughs> right. and so I was like, and I was just like, you know, I was I was on Twitter a lot at the time, still am, but I, even more so. And I was like, Twitter's gonna be really angry. Like, Steam, <laughs> the Steam forums gonna be super angry. There's no boss fight, uh, and and I think ultimately, like maybe it was a conversation I had with Alex. Maybe it was Alex where I was like, I'm just really worried about this, and Alex was like, they're dead. <laughs> like they're just dead. They're the, like sorry they're dead they've always they always have been like you've been walking around the world seeing them dead this whole time like guess what they're still dead they're not coming back to life right yeah yeah and i think like that sort of like practical that sort of morbid practicality sort of plays into the ending mm, um, yeah no i i agree like the you know one of the things that i hadn't really thought of was that the um the end boss is is in some ways like I wouldn't say disappointing. I liked I liked the last boss fight. It was difficult in a very rewarding kind of way. But um it it's true that like you sort of psych yourself up for these um the potential of fighting these these bosses and you get judgment who's been dogging you the whole game. <laughs> it's like yeah. of course you'd have to fight the guy that has like or the the creature that has been literally trying to capture you the entire game and kill you every single time you, you try and get away from it. Um, why wouldn't you? Yeah. That totally makes sense. There's this thing too. And, uh, I will, I'm about to do big spoiler, but I'll call out before I do it for listeners at home. Um, there's a, there's a pet peeve I have in design that I wanted to work in from a narrative point of view, which is I, it always bothers me when I finish a narrative game and my save file doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like my, my save file for Final Fantasy VII will always be at the top of the North Crater or, like, halfway down the North Crater. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. That is uh, you know, that is very frustrating. Yeah, there's no record, and, like, I don't get to... There's no, like, post-save file thing. Um, I think Earthbound does it, where, like, you get to save after the end, um, I think, and you can walk around the world victorious. Um, That's cool. But I, but I wanted that. I was like, we have to figure a way to do that. And I guess, like, start spoilering now. Like, mute your thing. Skip ahead one minute exactly. Um, <laughs> that, like, the drifter sits down at the end and, like, there's some ambiguity as to what happens there. Um, kind of. But, like, the drifter is pretty fucked up and it's kind of... Yeah, uh, he, has that, he has that end of the, like, a Kurosawa ending kind of moment where he yeah. looks down and his chest is bleeding more than he yeah. thought it was. Like, very, very almost dead. Very dead. Um, and so, like, there's a thing, and this is, this is kind of Easter eggy, but it's not a secret, which is that, like, if you finish the game, um, there's a little thing at the, attached to your save file. So if you go and try to load your save file, there's this little, like, tiny icon, and if you click on it, it loads where your character is. Mm. And it loads that same scene, but now you're a skeleton. Oh, wow. Um, 
And it was just kind of the same thing as Alex has said to me about the Titans being like, they're dead. It's like, just to be, just so we're clear, you're dead. <laughs> the Traveler like, died, yeah. Yeah, so. I no, guess, I appreciate, I, I actually, I like that too. Like there's a, I think there's a real temptation in, uh, especially in, in games where like, you want to say like, oh, um, no, no, like you can make, you can make whatever conclusions you want about your characters. And these characters are for you or, or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and one thing I thought Hyperlight did really, really nicely was it gave you a narrative that you didn't actually have many choices in, um, mm. which is like obviously something that people don't like so much anymore. But um, I think it's also something that's very valuable. Like the idea of this is just the story you get, like you're, you're yeah. being told a story. I'm a big fan of participatory narrative where like you're just there to feel attached to it and the characters are the characters. Yeah, I'm the same way. I um I find that I find that frustrating. Um or I'm sorry, I find the alternative frustrating. I misheard mm -hmm. you there. Um yeah, I find I find it frustrating when it's like um truly just, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna give you anything you wanna do and this whole game is about you, you know, role playing. That can be fun. I've played many games like that. <laughs> yeah. But at the same the point, Ubisoft approach. Yeah, the Ubisoft approach. <laughs> Make your own choices. <laughs> whatever, whatever bad. you want. What's we, good? What's bad? Is fascism bad? We don't know. <laughs> hey, listen. If you think fascism's bad, that's okay. Like you know, go for it. Have fun. Um, yeah, that's a uh, that's that's the Ubisoft approach. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's um, it's yeah, uh, it, it's not it's not um, it's not the division, and it's not. Skyrim and it's not any of these games that it's like, oh, you know, you, you, you know, who knows what happened at the end. It's up to you to figure out like how this story uh, concludes instead. It's like, no, like the story has an ending and it's this. Um, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. There's, I, I think there's definitely a place for like long experience games where you have your own, uh, what is the word we use? Uh, emergent story. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying those don't belong in, in the category of video games, but in the in the vertical of like what we would call narrative games or like games that purport to be about story first or, or to be telling us a, a story, like you got to have a story. Yeah. Um, and, and so I wanted to ask you one more question um, and then I, yeah. I will let you go because I know you're a very busy person. Um, it, you know, Hyperlight is one of those games that I think gets, I mean, we talked about this at the top um, and we probably... I probably bookmarked a few things I wanted to talk to you about, but we didn't get to, which always happens. Um, Hyperlight's one of those games that, like, in in the way that it is marketed, it's going to get some some bleed, um, some conceptual bleed. We talked about this with Souls Likes, right? Um, but there's other there's other bleed there that I think is like maybe even more inappropriate for Hyperlight or, or more misleading. Like there's there's like retro, right? Like retro gaming, mm, um, mm -hmm. which it doesn't super feel like to me. Like the pixel art is there, but it doesn't feel retro to me, um, mm -hmm. which I'm not saying as like a dissatisfied consumer, more like, <laughs> you know, it feels it feels frustrating it, to me thinking about someone who's like, oh, like this isn't this isn't retro enough. This doesn't feel like an NES game. Um, mm -hmm. And then like giving a bad re uh, review on Steam for it. And then also like this this category of um like a Metroidvania, right? Like a game that is just about exploring to get to the next thing, to get to the next thing. Um, and the way you've been describing it is, is actually helpful for me because it's the way I kind of experienced it, which is as a narrative. Um, much more a story being told as opposed to just like a, a world to explore for the sake of exploration. Mm. Um, so how do you, like, do you feel that the reception of the game or the reception of any game you've made, I mean, we can, we can broaden it out to your whole career, which I... I 
I'm sorry we talked so much about one game. We probably should have talked about others. But I mean, it is like it is the, you know, if you ever if you ever have other time, I'd love to hear about the other games you're working on or, um, you know, well, I, I would love to hear about the game you're working on when that comes out. Um, I, I will plug at the end. We'll do that. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. Plug, but... plug every game you've ever made at the end. Just like go through a laundry <laughs> list. Um, but like, how do you like, do you feel like this game has had a reception that you're happy with? Do you feel like people understand it the way that you would want them to? Or is that just like not actually a concern of yours as a creator? Um, I would say, yeah. I mean, I think the retro tag is like people are going to put on that what they want. Like retro uh, can be conflated with nostalgia, which I think the game definitely taps into, but isn't overtly trying to at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not doing a lot of nods to nostalgia, I'd like to think. Um, no, I don't think mo- so. But whenever anyone sees pixel art, there's going to be a pang of nostalgia, and that's just how that works. Um, but it is not retro in, for example, its design approach or its uh, its narrative approach. But like, for example, like we do auto checkpointing. We auto checkpoint very generously. Like it's not trying to be uh, a, like a Maso core old school arcade game or something. Yeah, I was pleased to see that when I, when I died for the first time. I was like, oh, good. Like, I'm not going to get uh, completely killed for this. Yeah, we try to be respectful of time, which is another thing. Um, the the uh, Thank you for that. The, the, there are a lot of busy people who play games. Not that, <laughs> no, I was going to say not that teens aren't busy, but teens are not busy. <laughs> so teens, teens can, some teens are busy. I think teens who game are not always busy. Teams are busy in a, in a usually lower stakes way, but th- th- I'm getting into hot takes. Um, the teens are going to like, this is the, they're going to lose it at this. You're going to yeah, get so gonna, much hate. They are busy. A lot is put on them. Uh, so some, I, I'm just saying my, your, your mileage may vary. I took a lot of classes. I studied a ton. I did a lot of extracurriculars to try to get into a good college and all the pressures that get put on you. I played a lot more video games than I do now. And maybe that's... Uh, Whoa, I'm going to stop myself. Love, uh, thank you to all the teens out there who played our game. We love teens. Big fan of teens, but not in a way that's also going to go down. Um, okay, sorry. That's okay. You know what? Uh, it's, no, let it's, me, a, it's a classic mistake um, yeah. to talk about teens. It'll get you every about time. Um, in terms of reception, it's funny. Like, it, to be perfectly honest, like, I don't know the exact temperature of the reception. Um, there was a brief time for like a month where I managed the Steam forums, and then we got somebody else to do that. I just wanted to set the rules in place for like how we wanted people to behave. Um, I read some of the reviews, but honestly, I bookmarked some of the ones that I wanted to read that looked really complimentary, <laughs> and I still haven't read them. I still have a folder of these reviews that I just haven't been incensed to read. Hmm. And more recently, Hyperlight got played... Uh, it's been played a few times now, but it got played at Games Done Quick. Oh, cool. Speedrunning charity. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, that whole community is so tight and strong, and there are all these people who, like, make a lot of their time about Hyperlight, and I have no clue about that. I just don't stay in touch with it. So the, the honest answer is, like, I, I, I intentionally, emotionally moved on really quickly for a lot of reasons. Mm. I didn't want to be too caught up. Um, I, had, I had, like... Another reason I took a job going right out of it is I kind of wanted to detach myself from like sitting at the computer checking our sales numbers every five days. Yeah, for sure. I can understand that. I mean, things like that. That sounds um, sounds extremely challenging to to Mm. to be like that committed to a game and that you have put so much of yourself into. Yeah, but I I guess I would say to couch it that like that is under kind of the uh, different kind of privilege of that like it wasn't my story to begin with. Mm. So like. 
Um, I, I think we gave it our best shot, and I think a, a, a bunch of people get it, and that makes me happy, and whatever percentage of the people who don't get it that I'm not aware of, like, I'm not really interested in kind of doing that analysis and finding out. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for your time. I, uh, you know, I think you, you, you said a lot of smart things about your game and, and about labor in general, um, that I hope, uh, you know, if, if I didn't, if I didn't, uh, parse it in, in a way that the audience likes, I hope that, uh, they will hear your words instead. Um, what do you have to plug? Uh, what, where can people follow you? Where can people see your work? Where can people, um, keep an eye out for your next stuff? What games out there that you have made should people play if they liked Hyperlight or even if they didn't like it? Um, the easiest thing I could say is I'm like Teddy Deef everywhere, T-E-D-D-Y-D-I-E-F. So mostly Twitter and Instagram and also a website of the same name, .com. I've got some like smaller games on the on my site that I linked to for my site that I'm still kind of like, oh, you could play this. Uh, like I did a cool. small collaboration with Brennan Chung called uh, Fitz Packerton, which is about uh, the ritual of packing. And the, and <laughs> uh, it's, it's like a little narrative thing that I'm really proud of. Um, that we made in like two days. Um, and then now I'm working on this project that is codenamed with the palm tree emoji for, for a lot of reasons, but specifically so that it can't be confused with the final title because an emoji would be a stupid name for a title. Um, <laughs> so in, Fair <laughs> intentionally enough. Intentionally done. Um, but but, but I, I refer to it or talk about it as palm tree and it's very unannounced in all the manners of the term. But yeah, if people are interested in knowing what's coming next, follow me on the Twitter and also... Uh, teddydeef.com slash new there's a mailing list that I still haven't sent any mail to and I'll send like one email when it's time to say the thing so if people want to just kind of click and forget give me an email address and I, I'll be responsible with it that's a great one because uh, that's like that's like one of those ones like uh, one of those old sites like you know is it friday.com or, or something back when like <laughs> it felt like websites were infinite and then you can just feel like oh I gotta go check is it friday.com and it just says no until it is oh no I don't want that that's amazing I should uh, but this one is like, give me an email address. I'll let you well, know. Oh, no. But I mean, like, it sort of does the same thing where it's like, <laughs> is Palm Tree out yet? Uh, no, no. I don't have an email yet. Um, yeah, that's fair. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for thanks for uh, talking with us this week. And um, yeah, hope to I'm really interested to see what you have next and would love to have you back when that uh, when that comes out or anytime you're around. Thank you. Yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. <laughs> Take it easy. Thank you.